0: Hello, welcome to the Tech Time Podcast. The show dedicated to focus on sharing insights, strategies, and stories related to digital design and technology world. I'm your host, Atish Nardava, and today we are going to discuss about recent AWS reInventCon 2016. Today, our guest is Stanley Cho. Stan is a lifelong technologist with over 20 years of experience in the software industry, in the area of software development, system administration, software architecture, and release management. He's a lead DevOps engineer at Huge. Hello, Stan. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Atish. I uh, would like to share something about you before we deep dive into the topic. Yeah. I've been a professional
1: since 1996, starting out with Windows programming, then moving into the Java J2EE world. <laughs> this is about 1997. Okay. Uh, and then I've been doing something related to DevOps ever since 1997, whether it be builds, releases, I automation. Or anything related to system administration, management, and networking. Right. Yeah. All of that stuff comes, all,
0: comes with the territory. Sure. As of now, 2016, Amazon has, I think, more than 70 services, estimated to more than two million servers. Still carries the largest chunk, around 31 percent of the cloud market share. The recent yearly Amazon summit is one of the good place to feel the excitement with the collaboration of 25,000 engineer gathering at one roof they also have a lot of boot camps and it's a good place to see how the things are getting placed in reality and what the other people think about the aws and Cloud in general you were in the aws in 2016 and i think we have a lot of things to talk i'd like to drive this conversation with the things which you have found in the aws conference sure yeah so what was your experience overall in the aws summit was it your first time Oh my goodness! It, it was indeed
1: my first time at the conference, and I cannot wait to go back. It, this year, it was actually around thirty-two thousand people. It, it was just chaos, but I treated it pretty much just like a, a normal day in Grand Central. So
0: it was, <laughs> but I got through it. I loved it. So, what type of crowd is AWS Renoans pools? Is it like just all engineers, DevOps, or they have some business folks or marketing? Uh, it seemed like everyone was there.
1: There, it was mostly engineers, but I did see a lot of sweet, C-suite type folks walking around, networking, hobnobbling with everyone. And there were people from all over the world. So it was truly an international event. Jap- Japan, Korea, mm-hmm. Germany, mm-hmm. Middle
0: Eastern folks were there. It was okay. amazing. I think the one of the biggest agenda about the serverless architecture. I heard it's taking too much noise. It's making... There are a lot of potential behind it, but for most of us, including me, it was just like the unknown territory. So we'd like to give some insights about what is serverless architecture? What is serverless the whole about? Yeah, so serverless is all about removing
1: the management overhead from having to set up your own servers, whether it be regular physical hosts or virtual hosts. Or even host to run containers. Okay. That management
0: overhead goes away. I still need a company engine to do my processing. So what exactly, you know, how exactly it was going to work? Where am I going to deploy my project? Actually,
1: with Amazon, what you're able to do now is you're, you're actually uploading small functions Mm -hmm. up into Amazon's cloud. Okay. And through uh, various services, you're going to hook up those functions to various event sources, and then your functions will perform
0: their logic and then write out the results in some persistence store. That's the general pattern. So you going to say, like, I'm going to like break my application into the independent modules, and then I'm going to go into Amazon, am going to give me some hooks where I'm going to push that log, mm-hmm. and That's then then, then I can make this interconnected. So what of what type of product Amazon launched to make it happen? Uh, AWS Lambda is the
1: most important piece of this entire world. It, It's basically the new application server. Okay. Um, my boss, as my boss put it, he actually likes to say, "Long live the mainframe," okay. because in, in this essence, you're basically just using a, a small,
0: small nugget of time on. Uh, Amazon's computers. Okay. Let's start with the basic example. Like, I, I want to set up my web application. Web application is going to have, like, some front-end layer, back-end mm-hmm. layer, some database, and some, some API in terms of CDN and front So, how exactly is going to look alike into the AWS Lambda serverless architecture? Sure. So,
1: this is probably the most common pattern that we're going to come across. Yes. This the standard three-tier web application. The the architecture that was presented at the conference really made a lot of sense to me. Basically, you would have uh, AWS CloudFront mm-hmm. would serve your static resources, and then it uses S three to back uh, those distributions. Story. Okay, and then for your dynamic content, you're going to again go through CloudFront, which would then be backed by uh, REST APIs. So that would use the Amazon API gateway. Okay. And then the API gateway would be an event source for triggering your AWS Lambda functions. Okay. Behind the Lambdas, you can write the results of your application logic into a persistent store, maybe Dynamo, Elasticash, maybe queuing, uh, SNS for notifications. Okay. The, the combinations
0: are unlimited practically. Okay. So, how about like doing batch processing? Because it looks like for me, like we are trying to push stateless behavior to these lambdas, right? Mm-hmm. Because lambdas may not exist, they may scale up, scale down as the time needed, and it's the whole under the backward cover of the Amazon cloud system. So, mm-hmm. so how the server batch processing gonna happen in this case? Great. Yeah. So, with the serverless batch processing
1: pattern, it's essentially a mapping of the general do map and re- map reduce. Okay. So what would happen here is you have an event source. Maybe someone writes a some data into an S3 bucket. Okay. And that S3 bucket would then create an event and triggers what's called a lambda another lambda function, which is really just a splitter function. That splitter function would divide the data within the S3 bucket accordingly, and then assign those uh, chunks to another set of parallel mappers. Okay. Just another set of lambda functions. hmm Those intermediate mapper lambdas would process their results, write them back into some persistent store, S3, okay. Dynamo, etc and then they goes away in case there's no need right then those functions go away however you still have your intermediate results and you need to combine those intermediate results into the final product so then it's practically the same idea where you have those intermediate results mm-hmm. those intermediate results will trigger an event which uh will create it creates an event that triggers uh lambda reducer functions okay And then that reducer creates the final result that goes, again, into another
0: uh, storage area. Okay. So where does, like, uh, if I have a stateful application, where the state is going to maintain in this case? The state usually goes into one of
1: Amazon's persistent services. Mm -hmm. It's going, based on whatever your use case is, you could use Elasticash or Dynamo, uh, an Amazon RDS database. Okay. Uh, Whatever your use case requires. They have a really
0: wide range of choices. So it looks like it can solve multiple types of problems. Where do you personally feel it's going to be very beneficial? Well, for sure, it's going to be beneficial in just the amount of
1: time it takes to write the application. Mm -hmm. Granted, this is a new pattern, but when the unit of deployment, when you're actually deploying individual functions and publishing those functions, your your end product is much much smaller, and you can get them to production much faster. So there's going to be huge time savings there. Video processing that's a really interesting pattern too. There, it's very similar to the map reduce pattern. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, you maybe have a video file that comes in to okay. your storage S3, for example. Again, creates an event, triggers a lambda which splits uh, the work. Instead of splitting the actual file, now you're just actually triggering multiple independent functions that operate that transcode that original file into different formats for it. Just maybe a low uh, low resolution format, a high res format, a four K video format. Okay.
0: Those all happen in parallel, and they write back to their storage when they're done. Okay. So let's talk about the price and cost. What is what are the things you found about it? Like it's going to be cost savings. That's uh, something they talk most of the time, but I would like to take your view on it. Yeah, I, I love this part. This this is what <laughs> got my
1: attention the most. Uh, there in one talk, the cost of running a full serverless architecture was around four hundred dollars a month.
0: Ooh. Okay.
1: But A comparable multi-node on-demand EC2 based application with the same basic architecture. Mm -hmm. The cost was over $700 a month for that. Okay. That's a considerable savings. Yeah. Now with EC2 reserved instances, the costs dropped to about maybe $450 a month, but now you've got to deal with the fact that you own these instances for that year. Yes. You can't, you've got to do something with that. All the time. Yes, since yes. so yeah. that point. Yeah, okay. Um, in another talk, the speaker mentioned that he runs his entire startup on serverless architecture. He has not paid for infrastructure this entire year, because everything that his company does, it, it, he hasn't issued enough requests to Lambdas to fall out
0: of the free tier yet. Interesting, so what is their limit? like? And what limit they give us the free? I think it's 1 million requests for the
1: year. And then once you go over 1 million requests, then you get charged
0: literally pennies. Oh, yeah. Each that looks very interesting model. Because specifically for... I think this use case may fit to various small startups or maybe some prototypes where I go and figure out whether it is work or no, you know. Absolutely. To move it to that real full-time production. Maybe we, I think we still want to save the cost because I just want to use this. Ins, there is no concept of reserved instances, right? It is production, practically. Yeah. You okay. I mean, that's
1: the best part about it is that you could, you could set up, say, another root account for just testing and playing. Mm-hmm. But in reality, at the end of the day, you're pushing the same code that you wrote, that you deployed into. Development and just it goes out to production. It's okay.
0: very, very small units.
1: Yeah. And that helps with uh, with reducing the scope of the changes.
0: Sure. So overall to make it in reality, I'm going to start my application development in a, in a more functional and modular way. But I'm totally going to be dependent on Amazon because I'm trying to develop something which fits to the Amazon's ecosystem of AWS mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Unfortunately it does appear that way. Um, it would be pretty difficult to duplicate the scale in which Amazon operates in okay. a different provider. Um, the value proposition that Amazon provides, I will say, is quite good. But, again, you can actually choose the language that you use to write the functions. Uh, there are no JavaScript Okay. Uh, the JavaScript bindings, uh, Python, you can write Python or Java code.
0: Mm-hmm. So technically speaking, you're not completely limited. Okay. Because my application, my business logic is still there. Like I can plug that business logic. It's not like I'm not completely gone. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. So is it something Amazon pushing this kind of structure or there are other things like Google or any other whether Azure is trying to provide in the same direction or mm-hmm. something Amazon's invention
1: well i know from from the google side that they are they re, they recently released uh, google cloud functions which basically is the equivalent to aws lambda you have a google pubsub for messaging and notifications okay and so they have the whole ecosystem.
0: In which and then fast Google fast. Cloud Storage okay. is basically your S three, same thing. Okay. So any takeaway specifically mm-hmm. only from this uh, serverless thing? It's going to be an amazing time to be a an developer. And
1: yeah. There is going you're going to be able to move even faster than you did before. Mm-hmm. You're going to be able to publish your code more quickly, and the cost savings to Companies is going to be uh, unbelievable sure. compared to
0: how we did things even two years ago. Awesome! Like moving from in-house uh, data st- in-house uh, in-house systems to the cloud itself was the big step, and then now even in the cloud, from moving from like reserved cloud instances to this kind uh, AWS Lambda functions. I think it's going to be the next big step. Mm-hmm. Good to see. So now let's move to the next point. I also, since last one year, even after Google also entered in this space, Alexa and voice user interfaces seems to be the next big thing. What did you hear about them there? Well, with Alexa, I did manage to spend quite a few
1: sessions uh, trying to learn more about Alexa. As it turns out. The most difficult session to get into the conference (laughs) was the, there was a session where they implemented Alexa services on a Raspberry Pi. The the first line to get into, I'm sorry, the line to get into that first session was almost a quarter mile long. There were about 200 people waiting to get into that session. Oh my God. It was insane. So this is a very, very popular area to be in. It's, what I love about it the most is the fact that I'm mostly a backend developer, but now we're talking about designing conversations yeah. and reacting accordingly as opposed to creating uh, a, art, an artistic presentation that's subject to visual yeah, con- rules.
0: In the concept of conversational UIs or anticipated design, you know, mm-hmm. chatbots. Yeah. It looks like the... It's an, it's an amazing place to be. Yeah. So what does generally a tech stack look like? I'm, I'm, I know you were not able to enter to the workshop, but how exactly Alexa skills kit looks like?
1: Well, yes. Amazon published the Alexa skills kit mm-hmm. just recently. And it is... Basically, a wrapper around, again, AWS Lambda, which is, again, more Node, or it could be Python or Java, and then you're using API Gateway to front your uh, services. And then you can use Dynamo as your persistence engine in the back. But for the most part, the Alexa Skills Kit also gives you an event source. Okay. So when you speak into Alexa... It picks up the skills, and then it triggers your Lambda. Particular configured Lambda. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then there's also the Amazon Developer Console, which is used to help you debug and deploy your skills into the Amazon
0: system. So specifically helpful for the developers, right? Yes. Okay. So what does your takeaway with this voice and interfaces and the future of Alexa? <laughs> backend developers can be app
1: programmers too now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the conversation, it's basically all backend. Okay. Right now. Okay. That's really what it comes down to with voice skills. Sure. And designing conversations with people. Okay.
0: So let's move to the next topic. Uh, what about AI, and machine learning? What's going on there in that space? Oh, so
1: I went to a workshop on deploying a deep learning framework to Amazon's ECS service. Okay. But what I learned from that talk is that it's not nearly as complicated a service as I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Machine learning is all based in math, obviously. But there are libraries and services now that will help you to make more sense of the things that you're trying to learn. And that's what we did in that workshop. Um, Okay. The resources you need, basically you need a library to, you need something to help you create the models Mm -hmm. to process some data set okay that's and then you train your your
0: engine to do what you wanted to do so you would say in short like Amazon right now AWS specifically giving all these services which through which we can just build the AI from scratch right you can you could
1: build an AI from scratch actually if you wanted to it's all in how you build the models Mm -hmm. with your and how good your training sets are okay and then after that you feed in it's unknown data sets. Data so and that, then you test to see how well your models react to how they respond to okay. the the data. And that's it's it's actually a lot of fun. I I mean I had a lot of fun trying to try to <laughs> We were actually trying to it was an image recognition service. Oh awesome. Okay. So I fed quite I fed of one or two crazy images and thought, whoa, this is
0: Awesome. <laughs> Just, and it's all open source. Yeah, because my impression of my, might be very complex, you know. What the, we are not, still not unsure, like, what are the things we need to make it st- ground mm-hmm. up. It looks like they are moving in that direction too. So what's your takeaway overall? AI is
1: not as difficult as it seems. Okay. Just, you've got to start Making our own models, mm-hmm. training those models, seeing what happens, and then see what happens with uh, new data, we can try it out. It's really not
0: that that bad, it's not difficult. You said 33,000 engineers under the one roof, yep. there will be a lot of discussion might be happening over, over all about our... DevOps adoption how it's been tuning turning the cultures of the company what's your observation about the evolution of DevOps as a culture
1: uh DevOps is becoming absolutely necessary for companies to move at the speed they want to move okay with it, it basically just allows a lot of people to come together and set expectations mm-hmm. whether it be through the code that's actually written for the application or maybe it's through some kind of, of of tests. Maybe it'd be infrastructure tests or load tests or even just simple regular validation tests. Okay. You can all of that feeds into the DevOps culture and people collaborate and they talk to each other as a result. That's the most important okay. observation. And it's it's not it's not a specific person that does this job we are all a part of this this culture to talk to each other to help us work through problems and become more agile
0: yeah so w- what about practices what are the practices you have seen there was there any presentation was there any? you have you able to interact with what other companies are doing so In terms of practices, obviously the big one that
1: everyone talks about is your continuous integration, continuous delivery. Mm -hmm. That seems to be pretty standard. AWS has actually released a whole bunch of new tools around that with its code deploy, which actually puts your code into production, code pipeline, which is basically you get a chance to define your Stage. You're your stages and Jenkins. steps, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, okay. it's very much like Jenkins, and then obviously your code build, which is basically what you use to validate your code, validate mm-hmm. if necessary, yeah. and package it for for distribution. Okay, um, there's also work. There are a lot of people doing work to bring more more groups into the CI CD pipeline. The CI CD pipeline is the start. Okay. And what you decide to put in that pipeline is totally up to you. Yes, generally we put the application code. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your testing, maybe deployment. Yeah, but There are there are people that are starting to add more things like security testing. You to so say like infrastructure related stuff too? Infrastructure related testing. Oh my goodness. Interesting. There yeah. are frameworks out there now that will allow you to run Checks on infrastructure that was produced by your code mm-hmm. and report on it. So it's like there is nothing but infrastructure as a code, right? Okay, that's a huge pattern. A lot of these security and infrastructure patterns don't happen without infrastructure as code. There's all there is post validation, okay. but there's also pre-validation checks going on too. It's basically like another compilation step, but it's on infrastructure templates and scripts.
0: Sure, because whenever I hear the word security, <laughs> and when I personally talk to the enterprise clients and talk about clouds, the first thing they worry or the first thing they concern is security, yeah. uh, because security always comes to the discussion when I talk about clouds. Would yes. it be great to be able to say from
1: day one, we can test the security of the application right off the bat? And I think that's going to be a big thing, you know? After that's, that's, yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing, too, that I took away from this is that it's not about slapping someone on the wrist and berating them. It's just making sure that people are aware of what your expectations are and to help people understand what it
0: is that they're putting out there especially on the security side. Sure, so what type of security compliances have you seen there? Because we're talking about infrastructure as a code, and then you say about the testing of security things have mm-hmm. what are the things you also. So there was a really
1: great talk on this, and it was called The Psychology of Security Automation. And it was a look at how Netflix does their cloud security and how they automate those processes. Really fascinating talk. Um, what I love the most about this is that the security group is not there to come in at the end of the project and okay. to right. like get code and getting out the door. Okay, They're always there to help you to understand where you are and what
0: your security posture is and how you can improve. Okay. And even like secret testing, you was know, like trying to break your application, like hack, hack, your application on the day one, or it's something different. It's a little bit
1: different from that. There are certain things that you need to do from the get go, like managing SSL certificates, setting up permissions. Mm-hmm. Those actions tend to be neglected once they're established. Okay. At the beginning of a project. So what? They're trying to do is they, they basically open up a large large set of permissions for you. Mm-hmm. And then as the as you go along in your project, they help you to understand what it is that you're using and what you're not using. And then, based on that, you can make smart decisions about cutting away the fact that you don't need okay. in terms of what extra permissions you have.
0: Have you seen any example like how they literally automated SSL? Did they use any tool or something? Yeah, they open sourced a
1: tool called Lemur. And what this tool does is it basically allows you to provision SSL certificates. It will store them for you and distribute them to your in, in Amazon's case, it would distribute it to your load balancers, but you could do something similar with, with proxies. Okay. And when your certificates are about to expire, they, it basically scans the content of this database, looks for anything that looks like it might be up for expiration soon and sends you a notification about it. So it's a very proactive scan that they do.
0: And you don't have to worry about it. You just get notified when things are about to go, go south. Cool. So one thing which is always manual and which always painful is like permission management that always come to the security. That's Mm -hmm. where I always deal with security guys. Is there any, is there any way automated to do that? Yes,
1: actually with, well, inside Netflix, they have these tool called RepoMan. What's really interesting about this is that they give you but like, as I mentioned before, they actually give you a really wide set of permissions. Okay. When you start a project, as you use your account, it records. It'll it'll actually be able to track your usage, and it will eventually it will scan your history and it'll actually tell you what APIs and what permissions you you are using that you may want to keep and those that you can't delete because you haven't used them at all. Okay, so it's going to observe my behavior and I'm trying to decide. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's really, really super cool because you know what... They, they tell you what
0: your what your profile is. Most of the time we say, hey, I need everything, you know. But in the reality, we generally don't need everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what was your takeaway overall with the security automation? Uh,
1: from that security automation talk, um, the thing that I took away was that security teams and development teams don't need to be at odds with each other. Okay. The, the more they work together and the more they set their expectations with each other, the better all of our lives become. And that expectation setting can happen at the very beginning of the project, The, especially on the security side when they tell developers, hey, you're doing, hey, you may not need this, you might want to consider doing something. It's,
0: it's really a very
1: permissive open model and I really
0: enjoyed that. So what was your overall impression about the AWS 2016, overall cloud and what we have achieved so far and where we are heading out into the next year I
1: cannot wait to dive into all of this it it it, the conference pretty much re-energized my faith and my energy and my enthusiasm for this I can't tell you how beneficial it's been just to to be in that environment where people are talking to each other and open about issues and their problems and just, just seeing what people are doing in the trenches of their companies. There's a lot of amazing work going on. There. It's great to be there. Yeah,
0: looks like excitement is going to come out ahead in terms of engineering and engineers. Is there a place where our listeners can reach out to you, Stan? Do you have any Twitter or any social media account? Yeah. yeah, my, well, my Twitter handle is STSO. It was a great conversation, good chat. Thank you, Stan. Thanks for giving us an opportunity. Thank you, Teesh. Thank you so much.